temptation. And I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, we're all, everybody in this room and under the sound of my voice, this is relevant for every one of us. Uh, something that affects us all, temptation. Uh, I'll be looking at some verses from 1 Corinthians 10 in a little bit, but uh, before we do that, how many of you know how an Eskimo kills a wolf? One? All right. Two, maybe. Some of you maybe know. Uh, and maybe you've heard this before. And I want to tell you a little illustration about something uh, uh, about an Eskimo killing a wolf. And I've tried to do a little research as to whether it is true or not. And I get in a little bit of conflicting results. But I'm just going to say this. It makes a good point for the topic of the morning. It, it makes sense in nature, I think, whether it's actually true or not. But it does make sense for the, the topic this morning. So I want to tell you a little illustration here. First, the Eskimo takes a really, really sharp knife, maybe a two-sided uh, knife uh, sharpened on both sides. And he takes that knife, and he'll kill a seal, first of all, in the north, because they're relatively easy to catch and kill. And he'll take that knife then and he'll dip it in the blood of that seal. Take it out in the cold air and let it freeze hard. Then he'll dip it in the blood again. And he'll be like dipping a candle, building that up, building it up with blood. Okay? Until when he's done, he kind of has a blood popsicle for the wolf. And then he'll take that knife and he'll take it out where he wants to catch the wolf and he'll plant it upright in the ground or snow or ice or somehow he fastens it securely so that the, the popsicle is sticking up and then he goes away. So then we have the curious little wolf that comes along to, uh, he thinks he smells fresh blood and he does. And he comes up to he finds the knife and he begins to lick on the knife and gets that taste and the scent of that blood in his mouth. And the more he tastes and licks, the better he likes it, and the more he goes at it faster and faster until, guess what happens? The blood is decreasing, and the knife blade begins to appear, and he begins to uh, slice his tongue. And now he's drinking his own blood. He doesn't know that, though. All he knows is he's got blood. And so he keeps doing that until dawn arrives, and the wolf is laying there dead because he bled out. Now, again, you may come to me and say, that's not true, that doesn't work that way. Maybe it doesn't, but maybe it does, and it makes a good point for our topic today of temptation. <clears throat> that carnivorous appetite of his craves more and more and more. And Satan, you know, uses the same kind of tactics for people today, for us today. Uh, he knows that if he can cause us to succumb to temptation, then we will probably be very powerless and useless as Christians. Salvation. Most of us here today are saved by the blood of Christ, and salvation is not a barrier to temptation. Uh, you, I'm sure you, most of you know that already, but just a reminder that salvation is not a barrier to temptation. On the contrary, Satan, I believe, would be more likely to attack a Christian than a non-Christian. Why do you think that is? I think it's because 
the non-Christians kind of already in his camp. Yeah, he wants to keep him satisfied and keep him there, so he's going to keep uh, enticing him to have the fun things that they do and do the things that they do, but he wants to get the Christians into his camp, so he's going to really focus and, on the temptations of Christians, believers. <clears throat> so, temptation cannot be avoided. Cannot be avoided, but it can be overcome. Uh, while it's hard to endure temptation, when we are tempted and we have victory, it can help us to grow in Christ. I think we all need that, and we want to know how to turn temptation into triumph. Now, I want to read together our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. I'm going to put it on the slides behind me so you can follow along. In fact, what I'd like you to do is help me read it. But uh, So this is just the, the first part of this chapter is some background verses. But I guess you might say the main text or focus is going to be down to like verses 12 and 13 uh, toward the end of it. But I just wanted to read the beginning part there just to, to get a little background there. So let's look at these verses and let's have uh, you folks on this side say the white letters and you folks over here say the yellow letters, the words. Okay, so we'll do it that way. And then on the very last verse, verse 13, a familiar one uh, is... First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen. We'll read that one all together. So the last one is all together, starting on this side, with verse one. Here we go. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud; all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 died. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Altogether. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. All right, so temptation is going to come our way, but we can be triumphant. And I did this a little bit out of order. So here's the big bad wolf looking for that knife. Okay, let's go on. <clears throat> I want to talk about uh, different... Uh, parts of temptation. First of all, we'll look here at three responses to temptation. 
When temptations arise, man usually responds in one of three ways. And the primary or the, the way most, most people deal with temptation is simply just to give in to it. They kind of yield to it. Many people live by the if it feels good, do it mentality. They live like animals. They do everything they can to gratify the flesh. That's the nature of mankind, unregenerate man. Just to, if it feels good, let's, let's go have a party. Let's do it. Uh, nearly all lost people live that way. And sadly, some professing Christians live that way. Another way that you deal with temptation is to struggle daily. They struggle daily. They spend time fighting temptations on their own strength. They fight and they fail and they fight and they fail over and over because they're doing it on their own strength. If we could defeat the power of sin on our own strength, then it would be pointless for Jesus to have died on the cross, right? For our sins. That type of person that does that hates what he does, but he goes on doing it because he does not have the power on his own to stop. Now, maybe an illustration of that would be uh, somebody who is a, has the, a uh, habit, a bad habit or an addiction, I should say, to smoking cigarettes, okay? So they're, they're addicted to it. They've got to, they, they think they have to have it, and they try to stop, and they try to stop, and they just can't stop. And they'll stop for a little bit, and then they start back up. But with the power of God in their life, they can stop. It can be done. And I've talked to many people along those lines, as you know, with the career I'm in. So it can be done with God's help. Third response is to overcome through Christ. For those uh, who overcome temptation, do it through the power of Jesus Christ. And they can turn, as our title of our message today is, they can turn temptations into triumphs. There's a few things that you need to know to be able to do this, and I'd like to think this morning on this thought of how to be triumphant in temptation. Here's a little preview. So we want to talk about the subject of temptation, the source of temptation, the seat of temptation, and the subduing of temptation. Those four areas we'll look at. First of all, let's look at the subject of temptation. Who is affected? Well, I already told you who was affected, didn't I? All of us. Christian and non-Christian alike, we are all tempted by to do wrong, to go against the Lord. All humans are subject to temptation. From the most socially elite person in society to the least, no one is exempt. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, in the scriptures, I should say, we have examples, and this is just a little smidgen of examples, but Joseph in Genesis 39, uh, you remember what he did? He, he was uh, unintentionally, I guess, he was in the house of Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife caught him. And you know the story, how he had to flee that temptation. It was just her there and him there. That's it. He could have done something. They could have done something. But he chose to literally flee from that temptation. He made the right choice. David, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, we have the sin with Bathsheba. David was tempted. He made a poor choice. 
Job, in Job 2, was tempted to curse God and die because of all that was happening to him in life. But Job made the right choice as well and continued to stay with the Lord. And, of course, our Lord Jesus, the perfect example in the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, he was tempted in the wilderness. And, of course, because he's God and he's perfect, even though he's 100% man as well, he made the right choices and he overcame with triumphant in temptation. We're all assaulted daily by the enemy with a wide range of temptations. Back in around the year uh, 2012, there was a Barna survey done. The top five self-reported temptations in America at that survey was 60% of the people struggled with anxiety or worry. 60% struggled with procrastination. 55% struggled with overeating. 44% struggled with overuse of electronics and social media. And 41% struggled with laziness. So that was the top five. There was more than that, but that was the top five in that survey that was done in 2012. Maybe some of those affect you, or maybe you're tempted to, with some of those uh, areas. Praise God if you're living in triumph over those. But we all have at least one area in our lives, I'm sure, where we're susceptible to temptation. Now, it's not a sin to be tempted. It is not a sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the writer says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, was tempted just like we get tempted, but he didn't sin. <clears throat> so if the perfect Son of God can be tempted, then we can all be tempted, and it's not a sin to be tempted. But our greatest danger is to think that we've arrived at a place where we are above sinning. Sin enters the picture when we yield to it, to the temptation. Verse 12 of our text says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Also, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. <clears throat> Have you ever wondered or thought about, like, why, didn't God, why doesn't God just annihilate the devil? Just totally annihilate him so he has absolutely no ability to come after the, the believers or the people in the world. Why doesn't God just, just get, put him out of his existence? Well, without opposition, we can't have victory, correct? Without opposition, there can be no victory. God hasn't called us as believers to a life of ease, a life of uh, a bed of roses. He's called us to a life of victory, though, and we can have victory when we have faced evil and when we emerge as overcomers through Jesus Christ. So, that's a little bit of who is affected. 
the subject of temptation. Now let's go look at number two, the source of temptation. Where does it come from? Verse 13 of our text. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So we were uniquely created as creatures of choice. It's our choice in the matter when we are tempted. We can't go down the road <clears throat> excuse me, of believing that your temptations are so big and so great and that there's no hope for you. Can't do that. The temptations that you face, the temptations that I face, thank you, are all pretty much common, run-of-the-mill temptations. He may hit me with one of them one day. He may hit with you the same thing with, to you another day. Um, not always all that different, but just comes at us at different times in life. We all get the same ones from the same source. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. <clears throat> in Genesis 3, the story of Eve, Adam and Eve, um, Eve was tempted. First, it was appealing to her appetite, the lust of the flesh. The fruit was pleasing and delightful to the eye, the lust of the eye. Finally, she somehow perceived that the fruit would make her wise and giving her lots of wisdom beyond her own. That's the pride of life. Where does it come from? It comes from the world. In the Bible, the, world, the word for world means system or order. The Bible speaks of this system called the world. It says that it's evil. Evil. First John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Austin just read that verse this morning. James chapter 4, verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. <clears throat> the world. That system is evil. As Christians, we are a peculiar people, the Bible says. And if we are being faithful, we will stand out in this, wor this world for the Lord. We are to be different. We are to be a distinctive people. We, we need to stand out and be different, not just for difference sake, but because of who we are in Christ. We should not allow the world to shape us in their mold. More familiar verses, Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that, ye may, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus calling us to be a different people than the people of this world. Are you a a thermometer or a thermostat? Are you a thermometer or a thermostat? You may have heard this illustration before or thought about it before. Dr. Tim Elmore once said this, people are either thermometers or thermostats. They merely reflect the climate around them or they will set it. So a thermometer reflects what the temperature is around it. I would suspect the thermometer is quite warm today. If anyone uh, is full of fear in their life, uh, excuse me, if everyone is full of fear in their life, then that person will also be fearful. That's, that's what the thermometer is. It kind of reflects what's around them. A, ther- a thermostat is something that sees the current temperature and tries to change it. In life, we will either simply reflect culture around us or we can be involved in changing it, helping to change it. That's the world. Next source of temptation, the flesh. We have a natural bent towards sin. We're born with that bent. From the most innocent child to the most godly and mature adult. The old nature is what the Bible calls it. The old nature. There is a civil war going on in the heart of every believer here today. In Galatians... Chapter 5, there's two verses there I'd like to read. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. There's a war going on inside. Whenever we fail, we try to blame our sin on the devil, don't we? Sometimes we do. But remember, he tempts us, he entices us. He points us towards sin. But we're responsible for the final decision. He can't do it for us. He can point us that way, try to get us to go that way. But the decision is ours. The devil. His objective is to get us with his temptations. He wants to cause us to fall so that God is dishonored and that we become useless in the kingdom of God. He knows every weakness that you have and he tries to exploit them to get you to sin. Now, he's not, om- he's not omniscient. That means he doesn't know everything. He's not omnipotent. That means he's not all-powerful. And he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere present. Those qualities belong to God and God alone. But the devil is real. He's very smart. And he's got lots of workers. 
and he sends them out to try to get to us. <clears throat> he hates us. He hates you, and he's plotting to destroy you. He's plotting for your defeat. He loves to, fall, to point to fallen saints and laugh in their faces and laugh before God as he stands there accusing them of evil. Please don't give in and give him that satisfaction. Thirdly, let's look at the seat of temptation. How are we tempted? Man is made in the image of the triune God. That means God has three in one, right? The Trinity, we call it. Uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we are made in his image, so we are a three-part being as well. And you all heard that before probably. We have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. So... When he's tempted, he will probably always be in one of those three areas, in our body, our soul, or our spirit. We need to understand this principle and the areas that will come under attack if we're going to be overcomers, if we're going to live triumphantly. First of all, the body. The body. That refers to the flesh, the old nature, as we just mentioned before. Uh, We're tempted to laziness, lust, Overindulgence, sexual sins, and the list goes on and on. It's what happened to David when he looked on Bathsheba. He was tempted in his body with the lust of the flesh. Secondly, the soul. That's the you that lives inside your body. Your mind, your will, your emotions. The world is the primary tempter of the soul says to the soul, you need more, and you can have more. Just do this, or buy that, or get this. You can have it. You deserve it. It appeals to the ego and the pride. A worldly person is one who's given over to the pleasures of the world. In the Old Testament, we have an example of somebody who did that. His name was Lot. In Genesis chapter 13, we read, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, that is Abraham, or Abram at this point. Abram settled in the land of Canaan. While Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So Lot was faced with a choice, and he made his choice. He looked at Sodom. He leaned towards Sodom. He lived there, and he lost there. So we're tempted in our body, in our soul, and in our spirit. This is the primary arena of Satan's attacks. The soul is our self-consciousness, and the spirit is our God-consciousness. This is what sets us apart from the animals. Only man can know God. Animals can't know God like man can. Okay? Man, uh, animals were created by God, and they will worship God. They will, they will honor, bring honor and glory to God. They will. They have no choice. God made them. They have their little instincts that they do, the way they live, the way they eat, the way they do whatever. Brings honor and glory to God. It's the way he made them. 
He also made us, but he made it something different about us, and he gave us a choice in life. And that's how we're different. We can choose to not worship God. <clears throat> Our spirit connects and communicates with God, and it's how we worship him. So when we yield our lives to Jesus Christ, our spirit and God's spirit are joined together, and we communicate with our Heavenly Father. We have communion. John chapter 4, verse 24 says, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And Satan hates this, this connection. He hates this communion between the creator and his creatures, human beings. And he wars against that spirit in man in an effort to cut off our fellowship with God. He wants to break that tie. <clears throat> he places doubts in our minds to distract us. He places false doctrine in our way to turn us away from the truth. He attacks our spirit. In the New Testament, we have Peter, the apostle. When Jesus was on trial, when Jesus was captured, about to be put to death, we have Peter's denial of Jesus. The temptation was directed at his spirit. He wasn't under an ego attack against his soul. He wasn't under a sexual assault against his body. He was caused to doubt in his spirit. Sadly, Peter yielded. But we know the story how that he repented of that and was a mighty man of God. All right, let's go on to number four. Number four is the subduing of temptation. So we're all going to be tempted. What can we do about it? That's what we'll look at next. Three words to remember when we are facing temptation. <clears throat> Flee, faith, and fight. To overcome the flesh, we need to flee temptation. And the key to defeating fleshly temptations is this word, flee. Get away from it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other, per every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is the verse following our text today. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. So flee youthful passions, passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee. Run. That's what Joseph did in Potiphar's house. He fled. You cannot expose yourself to fleshly temptations and expect to walk away unscathed. Many people did get to believe in that, that they can dabble in this or dabble in that, and they can still live above it. They're fooling themselves. Not true. You can't walk away unscathed. Proverbs 6, verse 27, the writer says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Obviously not. So flee. Flee temptations. Secondly, we can have faith. 
To overcome the world, we need faith. Do you really believe that Jesus will take care of you if you willingly give up the attachment to worldly things? Do you really believe he can or that he will? He will. But we have to have faith. We need to trust him. We read verses earlier that taught us that if we are loving the world, we are not loving God. If we really want victory over the world, you need to love Jesus more than you love the world. You need to love Jesus more than that thing that you're being tempted with. If you're being tempted to do wrong, we need to learn to hate that thing and see it as God sees it. Look at it with the way God looks at it. God hates that. I hate that. And I'm going to, by faith in Christ, I'm going to get away from it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So it's our faith in him that offers us the victory. And thirdly, to overcome the devil, we need to have, we need to fight. We need to fight. We're promised that in the word, that if we stand up to him and fight, he will flee. In James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist, fight the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, important part is that very first phrase, first sentence, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Because if you, if, if you leave that part off of it, you're in big trouble. You can, you can fight, but it's on your own strength, then, and it's not going to be very successful. So first of all, submit yourselves to God, then you can resist the devil, and he will have to flee from you. See? You can't, you can't run away from him, but you can drive him away through the power of the shed blood of Jesus. Because he doesn't fear you and me as people. He doesn't fear us. Not at all. But he trembles at the blood of the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes on the scene, he's trembling and he's, he's out of there. So keep that in mind. You submit yourselves to the Lord and the devil's going to flee. <clears throat> All right, Ephesians 4, verse 27. Give no opportunity to the devil, is what Paul says. Paul's admonition to us is, don't give the devil any opportunities. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Or like that wolf standing on the ledge over, overlooking. He's waiting for something to devour. That's the devil. He's walking around just trying to find somebody who's going to give in to him. All right, a quick review. To be triumphant, triumphant excuse me, in temptation, we looked at the subject. Who is affected? All of us. Everybody in this room will be tempted. Where does it come from, the source? comes from the world, the flesh, the devil. All right. Thirdly, the seat of temptation. How are we tempted? In our body, in our soul, and in our spirit. And lastly, the subduing of temptation. What can we do about it since we're all going to be tempted? We can flee, we can have faith, and we can fight. Now, I don't know what temptations you're dealing with. 
in your life. You know, and God knows. But as I said earlier, if you're here under the sound of my voice, you are in a battle. I'm in a battle. Our greatest resource in this battle is the closest is a close relationship with Jesus Christ. So we can bring our needs to him, lay it down at his feet, and then expect him to help. And I say expect, that means have faith. Believe in him. Believe that he will help us to be victorious. He's the one who made the offer to us. So let's take him up on the offer. <laughs>